As I said earlier, our pastor and his wife have been out of town on vacation. They'll be back in tonight and ready to get after it tomorrow. So we look forward to them returning. John, the first chapter, verse 35, says, The next day John was there again with two of his disciples when he saw Jesus passing by. He said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. It was about the tenth hour. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which, when translated, is Peter. Last Monday, a week ago, we celebrated in the United States Columbus Day. Of course, that wasn't Columbus Day. Columbus Day was actually this last Friday on October the 12th. And I have proof of that because there was a poem written about it, and I want to read that to you. In 1492 is the title of it. In 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. He had three ships and left from Spain. He sailed through sunshine, wind, and rain. He sailed by night. He sailed by day. He used the stars to find his way. A compass also helped him know how to find the way to go. Ninety sailors were on board. Some men worked while others snored. Then the workers went to sleep and others watched the ocean deep. Day after day they looked for land. They dreamed of trees and rocks and sand. October 12th, their dream came true. You never saw a happier crew. Indians, Indians, Columbus cried. His heart was filled with joyful pride. But India, the land, was not. It was the Bahamas, and it was hot. The Arakawa natives were very nice. They gave the sailors food and spice. Columbus sailed on to find some gold to bring back home, as he was told. He made the trip again and again, trading gold to bring to Spain. I guess that should have been, he made the trip again and again, trading gold to bring to Spain. The first American? No, not quite. But Columbus was brave and he was bright. So, 1492. Though Columbus did not technically discover America, rather, as the poem says, the Bahama Islands, he led the way for others to come behind him and discover the continent that was so big and vast. Columbus was born before October the 31st, 1451, and died on May the 20th, 1506, at the age of 54. He sailed four voyages across the Atlantic under the auspices of the Catholic monarch of Spain. The first voyage was in the name of the Crown of Castile, appointed by Isabella I of Castile. He left Spain in August 1492 with three ships, the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria. He was largely self-educated. 
but was widely read in geography, astronomy, and history. His plan was to seek a western sea passage to the East Indies, hoping to profit from the lucrative spice trade. He was part of that generation and that movement to discover the world. There were others before him. Magellan had already made the trip around the world. But he also figured that if you go west, you'll eventually end up in the east. And so that's what he set out to do. But you know, from the many voyages, our ancestors discovered new life in the new world known as America. Those great pioneers of the east desired to go west to discover and settle new lands like Tennessee, Kansas, Missouri, Texas, Illinois, Arkansas, and Oklahoma. My family, much probably like your family, was involved in that process. John Nickel came here from Ireland in 1749 and settled in Virginia, and then part of the family moved to Kentucky and then later to Texas and Oklahoma. He had four sons that served in the Revolutionary War when we freed ourselves from the tyranny of England and set America free. It was a hundred years later, in 1849, that my great-great-grandfather left Paris, Texas, up in the northeast part of the, of the state, and decided to be part of the gold rush. After all, he was raised in Tennessee, had gone to Illinois with his wife, had two children, came to Arkansas, and then to Texas. He was always on the move and the go, and so he decided to go to the gold rush in California in 1849, got as far as El Paso, and died of pneumonia. So he's buried out here somewhere. I haven't found him yet, but he's supposed to be somewhere out in this area. And then 100 years later, I was born. So in our DNA, there is the history of discovery. Many of you have similar stories about how your family came here from other places and why they came here and why they settled. Americans are adventurous people who like to discover new things. On September the 12th, 1962, at Rice University in Houston, President John F. Kennedy proposed that we go to the moon. The motivation was to leave this world that had been 99% explored and reach out beyond our planet and discover the surface of the moon. Oh, we could see the moon, but we had never set foot on the moon. My grandmother at the time, when this all took place, she was blind and she was in her 80s. She just could not believe that somebody was on the moon. They thought that they were lying to us, that, you know, she grew up in the horse and buggy day. She just couldn't fathom that somebody was really standing on the face of the moon. But on July the 20th, 1969, when Neil Armstrong radioed back to Earth from the lunar spaceship, he said, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. So we've always been about discovery. We've always been about as a people looking for something, seeing what we can discover, what can alter and change our lives. There is a discovery account in the Gospel of John. It occurs after John the Baptist has been confronted by scribes and Pharisees to inquire if he was the Christ, and he said, No, I'm the forerunner. I'm not he. I, I'm not even worthy to undo his sandals. He's coming after me. I'm baptizing with water. He's going to baptize people with the Holy Spirit. No, I'm not him. 
But on two occasions, when he saw Jesus, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. And the second time that he said that, Andrew and another of his disciples quit following John the baptizer and started to follow Jesus and asked the question. When Jesus said, What do you want? They said, Where are you staying? And he said, Come and follow me and find out. John the baptizer bore witness of a dove landing on Jesus' shoulder, signifying Jesus' place in God's will and plan as Messiah. He acknowledged who he was, but he affirmed exactly who Jesus was. He was the Lamb of God. And so, these disciples stopped following him and began to follow Jesus. It's what happened next that I want us to concentrate on this morning. Because was this discovery or was this revelation? There's no doubt the disciples of John were listening clearly to his preaching and teaching about the Messiah. There's no doubt that they were following him intently, waiting for the Messiah to show himself, waiting for him to be presented to the world. When they heard John the Baptist say, Behold, the Messiah is coming, they began to follow Jesus and not John. It was what happened after they spent a day with Jesus and traveled back to Galilee where Andrew and Peter, James and John had a fishing business on the Sea of Galilee at the town of Capernaum that I want us to look at. For it was Andrew who went to his brother and said, We have found the Messiah. We found him. We think we found him. Why don't you come and see? Why don't you come and investigate with us? I like what William Hull, a writer for the Broadman Commentary, says. The key word found implies a single experience in which all of the effort involved in human discovery is combined with a recognition of the sheer givenness of that which was put there by God to be discovered. It's sort of like an Easter egg hunt, you know. We take the eggs out of the backyard, the adults, the parents do, and we hide them so the kids can hunt for them. Yeah, we all know as adults where the eggs are because we put them there. But the kids don't know. And so it's fun and exciting for them to go and discover the eggs that have been hidden. And you see the smiles and the joy on their face as they find one egg after another after another. And the same is true at Christmas. Wrapped gifts by family and friends are placed under the tree, and they are normally what the child has asked for, but they discover their gifts on Christmas morning. It is that anticipation that drives them. I mean, two or three weeks ahead of time, you can hear them scurrying through the closets trying to see if the gift is there or checking out under the beds to see if the gifts are there. But on Christmas morning, they get to tear open the ribbon, tear off the paper, open the box, and see what they got inside. And they discover that they got what they asked for. It's the anticipation that drives the moment at Christmas and at Easter. It's like the time Jesus asked the twelve who he was, and he received all sorts of answers, remember? Oh, some say you're Elijah. Some say you're John the Baptist resurrected because he had died by that time. Herod had killed him. 
And then others said, no, no, no. He's one of the prophets. He's come back to earth, but he's one of the prophets. That's who he is. And then Jesus turned the question on the 12, and he said, let me ask you, who do you say that I am? And probably like a first grader in school, big old Peter, Petros, the rock, waved his hand and said, I know, I know, I know. He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And remember what Jesus said to him? He said, Peter, you didn't figure this out on your own. Nor did you discover this on your own. But the Holy Spirit revealed it to you. There is the marriage of discovery and revelation that I want us to think about this morning. I'm not diminishing the spirit of discovery with Christopher Columbus, nor diminishing the pioneer spirit of Americans. But they were limited in their knowledge of the known world. America was there all the time. The Europeans just didn't know it. Indians knew it, as we called them, as they had migrated here from other parts of the world. I'm merely saying we would not have discovered Christ if God had not revealed him to us. It's not something that you and I conjured up. It's not something that you and I manipulated nor set to discover. It was that which God set in place. And God revealed his son to us. He partially revealed himself in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, he completely reveals himself through his son, Jesus of Nazareth. He very much wanted to be found and to be found out. He welcomed it. But it was Jesus and God who took the initiative. It was not our integrity, our ingenuity, nor our navigational skills. It wasn't even our GPS. Jesus revealed himself to us. And that's why Andrew said to Peter, Come with me. I think we found him. I think this is the one. But you've got to remember, they traveled with him for the next three years. And it was like a roller coaster. There were days that they were real high on Jesus. Peter was especially. And days he was down in the dumps. And then he was high and then he was down. There, there was not that consistency yet in that following of Jesus of Nazareth. That discovery went for three years and longer. As they discovered more and more about who the Christ was. So then the question becomes, what do you do with that which you found? How, how do you respond to the Christ? If, if you've discovered him, if he's revealed himself to you, then what in the world do you do with that which you've discovered? Well, the response of Andrew was to go tell his brother, Simon Peter. And he took him to meet Jesus. And in that encounter, Jesus looked at Simon and said, You are Simon, son of John. But you're going to be called Cephas, which is the Greek word for Petros or Peter, the rock. Scholars imagine he must have been a big, strong, tough fisherman. He was solid, like a rock. And so Jesus nicknamed him Peter. Andrew and Peter were looking they were anticipating the coming of Messiah. 
but they really weren't quite sure if he was the one. But the next three years would clear up any questions they might have had. The next three years revealed to them very plainly who he was and why he had been sent. One of my Old Testament professors in seminary was J.N. Boo Heflin, who was raised in Arkansas. When I began seminary at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth, I didn't care a whole lot about the Old Testament. Oh, I knew the story of Daniel and the lion's den. I knew about David and Goliath and all those stories. But trying to put the Old Testament together just seemed foreign. It just seemed like a lot of names and numbers and places and information that wasn't very pertinent until I had Dr. Heflin. I took him for the study of Exodus, and the Old Testament came alive for me. It took on a whole different breath of fresh air. When Dr. Heflin began to tell us about the Hyksos, a marauding group of shepherd kings from the north who took over Egypt and reigned for 150 years from around 1720 to 1570, during the time that Joseph was being sold into Egyptian slavery, and then later on, you know, his family would move down to Egypt as well and become part of that Hebrew group that lived there during that time. It all began to make sense. For the Hyksos were eventually run out of Egypt, and a new Pharaoh came to power. And if you look in Exodus 1.8, it reads, Then a new Pharaoh, who did not know about Joseph, came to power in Egypt. How would he not know about Joseph, that great Hebrew leader that was second in command to the Pharaoh? Unless, of course, the new Pharaoh was Egyptian and not Hyksos. And the new Pharaoh, being Egyptian, would not care one bit about the Hyksos or about Joseph or about anything they had to do in their land and in their country. And so, Dr. Heflin said, if they left Egypt, which he believed, in around 1290, then if you add 1290 to 430, you get 1720, the year the Hyksos gained control. And that made sense to me. May not to you, but it did to me. And the lights kind of went on. And then when he began to talk about the Exodus and the wandering in the wilderness, and when he came to that part and talked about what we say in West Texas. We say, yeah, they had manna. Well, that's the way we say it because we don't understand Hebrew. In Hebrew, the word is manna. Manna, which means, what is it? We kind of anglicize it or speak West Texas and call it manna. Makes it sound better for us. But what they were saying was, manna, what is this stuff, Moses, that we're supposed to be eating? What is this that grows on these plants in the early morning and then dies out by the afternoon? What is this substance? And Moses said, it's provisions of God. Eat it. It'll sustain you. Take, take it and enjoy it. Now, he could have said, look, guys, I've been here for 40 years as a shepherd. I've seen this stuff, and I've eaten it, and it's okay. It's good for you, so don't worry about it. That's what he could have said, but he didn't take the time to do it. He just said, it's provisions of God. It's manna. What is it? It's good for you, so eat it and quit asking questions. And that's what they did. And then as they moved on down the way, dove began to fall or quail out of the sky. 
And they began to ask, why is this happening? And Dr. Heflin said, if you do the migration history of the birds from north of the Mediterranean that made their way to the south in the wintertime or in the fall time of year like we're having now, getting ready for the winter, you would know that the young and the sick would fall from the sky because they could not make the long trek. And so manna from heaven or doves from heaven would fall and the people would capture them and eat them and it was meat provided by God. All these things began to make sense to me. When Dr. Heflin began to talk about how God provided, he was there all the time. These are phenomenons that were different and new to the people of Egypt because they hadn't gone anywhere. The Hebrews hadn't gone anywhere in 430 years. They hadn't been out even to Rio Dosa. They hadn't been anywhere. They were stuck in Egypt. And so when they get out beyond the borders, they don't know what it is, so they ask, Menah, and what is this birds falling from the sky? And Moses said, it's God's providing for you. You didn't discover it. It was there all the time. But God knew in his time and his plan when all these things would take place, and therefore God provided you see, the discovery of the Hebrews was actually a revelation of God. They just didn't know it. They didn't get it. They were used to a roof over their heads and three square meals a day. Matter of fact, they cried out. They wanted to go back to that. In the midst of their freedom, they wanted to go back. But Moses helped them to see. They only discovered what God revealed to them. And that was also true of Simon Peter. You see, God took the initiative in the Old Testament and in the New Testament to reveal himself to those who are looking, searching, anticipating the presence of the Lord in their lives. Even in his parables, Jesus knew that some would hear and others would never get it. That's why he spoke in parables. And he would say to them, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Not with these ears, but with these in the heart. Those who had perception, who were looking for insight, you would get it if you would listen to the Lord and follow him. You see, there's nothing wrong with searching for God, but make no mistake, he wouldn't be found if he didn't want to be. He revealed himself to us to be found. Sometimes we say, oh, there he is. Sometimes we trip over him. Sometimes we don't get it. But he's there all the time taking care of us. He revealed himself partially in the Old Testament and then completely in his son, Jesus Christ, in the New Testament. He's always revealing himself to us. Astronomers and scientists who explore the stars often tell us that they have discovered another planet or star in our galaxy. Well, they have better instruments. They have better telescopes. They have better ways of seeking out the, beyond the stars that we're aware of. But the reality, they may have discovered it, but it was already there. Or they wouldn't have discovered it. If God hadn't made it and put it there, they wouldn't have found it. But he did. And so for us, it becomes a discovery. But for God, it's a revelation. He's revealing himself to us in so many natural ways. 
Back in the 1980s, there was a song which was popular in church entitled, He Was There All the Time. The words go something like this. Time after time, I went searching for peace in some void. I was trying to blame all my troubles on this old world. Surface relationships used used me till I was done in, and all the while someone was waiting to free me from sin. He was there all the time. He was there all the time, waiting patiently in line. He was there all the time. He still is. He's still waiting for you to discover him. And he does that every day. He's revealing himself to us every day through people, through events, through conversations, sometimes in miraculous kind of ways. He reveals himself to us, and sometimes we just don't get it. Sometimes we just don't see it. But just because we don't see it doesn't mean he's not doing it. And he's always revealing himself to us. So, maybe it is today you need to discover him for the first time. Maybe it is you came here and here today looking for a direction, a purpose, a meaning to your life. Let me remind you, he's been here all the time. He's just been waiting for you to say, I believe and I follow, and I trust. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for loving us in such a way and so much that you would send your own son into our world to say, this is who my father is. If you know me, you know the father. Everything has been revealed. Everything has been made open. And light is shining in the darkness. Father, help us to accept that light today. Help us to accept your word, your love, your forgiveness. Help us to accept your son as Andrew and Peter and James and John did. Father, help us to discover the truths that you give to us each and every day. As one person told me in the early service this morning, how she had seen God revealed over and over and over in the midst of her turmoil, in the midst of her troubles, in the midst of her pain, God continues to reveal himself through friends and neighbors and church members. Father, help us. Help us to help others discover who you are by our faith and by our trust in you. And help us today, if we need to Make this our church home. We've been coming. We've been visiting, but we've just not said yes. May we do so today. If we've been searching for you and looking for you, but we've not yet said yes, may we do that as well this morning. Father, speak to us as only you can. Speak to us through the Holy Spirit that will lead us and guide us in this time of decision-making. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Will you stand with me, please, as we sing, I have decided to follow Jesus. And if you have done so, then please come this morning as we sing.